Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Judd, how are you? I am outstanding. How about yourself, well, Mr. Collar? Then you are just like the Minnesota Wild, who are all of a sudden back on track, Judd. You went to the uh, game the other night against the Nashville Predators, where it was a comeback win. They end up winning 6-4. to four. Is all right now with the Wild? I know last time, Judd, I said I was going to try to come up with a couple of solutions and things that they could do, but uh, it looks like Bruce Boudreaux beat me to the punch. Uh, you know what? I think saying all is right might be a, a little bit presumptive because, you know, for most of two periods against Nashville, the Wild did not look good. The Wild, uh, the Wild turned the puck over. The Wild played sloppy defense. The Wild looked, how can I put this kindly? They looked disengaged, and but then... Uh, late in the second period, they started to turn things around, and they had a furious finish in the third. I would say that uh, that while it was a nice comeback win, I'm curious to see where it takes them. I would not say that that is a formula that you, you want to try and repeat too often, though, uh, because if you turn the puck over as much as they did, it, in fact, two of those led directly to goals, you are probably going to lose more often than you're going to win hockey games, Matthew. Well, part of my strategy and Bruce can borrow this anytime he wants to uh, get them back on track, was to have Devin Dubnik have uh, three straight shutouts. I told him <laughs> yeah, that. I, I, I know, yeah, it's very important. <laughs> I, well, I mean, in all honesty, with the goaltending situation, there was reason to start to be concerned because over about the last half a season going back to last year, we had not seen the Devin Dubnik of the previous couple of years that had been really dominant. And even the first half of last year, he had a great argument for uh, the team's MVP, the Vesna trophy. And then he had slid since then. And it was worth wondering at that time, if there was something wrong there, or if he was regressing back to what he was before, but I, I think Dubnik reminded us just how good he can be over those three wins. So the weird thing about it uh, pre this streak beginning for him was the fact that it seemed to me like there was at least a goal a game that was funky or just weird. He, he was letting in just a weird goals, and, and his play wasn't terrible. It just wasn't solid. Uh, it, it, from what I have uh, seen and been told and read, you know, he didn't have the great game in Toronto then. I believe it was Toronto. Uh, and after that, went to Montreal and was ticked off enough at himself that he began to play well. I think he also did some work as well uh, on his his positioning and things like that. Here's one thing I found very interesting against the Preds, though. If you go back and watch that game, 
the Predators very clearly were taking shots from angles that didn't look so great. And I'm convinced that they did that because those are, those are the times that Dubnik allows goals. Mm-hmm. If, if you shoot on Dubnik from the slot and it's a great scoring opportunity, odds are, guess what? Unless it's tipped or he's completely screened, he might stop it. The Predators seem to be very content to shoot from the boards, to shoot from the perimeter, and to try and take weird angle shots because I think they know that that's where he sort of struggles a bit. Uh, but, yes, that three-game stretch, he was fantastic. In Montreal, I, you know, Zucker scored the goal, scored, I'm sorry, the hat trick in the third period of that game. But Dubnik was the story of that game. He was absolutely fantastic. That was, I believe, on Thursday. They go to uh, Philadelphia and win one zip on Saturday, and he was great there. And then they come back here and beat the Flyers three zip, and he was great again. So during that three-game stretch, he was absolutely fantastic. But there needs to be a happy medium here, I think, too, between the Dubnik who who is just good enough to win and where you're not asking him to blank opponents but you were scoring enough to support him. And that gets to our other problem, Matthew Collar, which is this. Zucker, Niederreiter, and Stahl are producing some goals for mm-hmm. you. The rest of the nine forwards have all gone through various lengthy droughts. And I think that those things do come to an end. And I think that, that some of this is just probably a little bit fluky. But you basically have nine forwards right now in goal-scoring slumps. I mean, Erickson Eck has not scored a goal since opening night. Koivu's gone an extended period. Your two guys from Buffalo have gone for long, long periods. So you do have a situation where you are going to have to have some of these lines and forwards uh, besides guys on the stall line start to produce more. Well, the thing with uh, Zucker, we talked about it a lot of just how good he can be when he gets hot, but then when he gets cold, there will be mistakes that get made that will drive you crazy, and he'll have games where he isn't as noticeable or as much of an impact player at all, but we also saw him being the guy that could step up and, and win you games, and when you're on a really good team that's scoring from four lines, and then you know you have this line get hot, and then they get cold, and then another line gets hot, that's kind of how it was through last year where you felt like at any given point you could point to some player who was carrying them there were times last year where charlie coyle was blazing hot and it seemed like he was scoring or producing or making big plays every night and then he kind of disappeared but the granland and zucker and koivu line was really good And, and that was another thing that i wanted to bring up judd i know that they were briefly broken up but I think that uh, Boudreaux should follow the Philadelphia 76ers' model and trust the process when it comes to playing Miko Koivu, Jason Zucker, and Mikel Granlin together. Uh, I mean, the, the other night, uh, you know, the, playing together, they only played together for six minutes. I'm looking at this. They played together for six minutes and yep. took seven shot attempts to the opponent's one shot attempt when they were playing on the ice together. I mean, they, they, yep. they quickly started to dominate and control the play when they were out there. And I, I think that that's the way that it should be all the time. I know that coaches always want to break up lines and mix things up. But with that line, I think we've seen it work so much over the last year plus even to now when they've been together that it should stay that way. And I think that's the best way to get Granlin going. I still don't feel like Mikael Granlin has the burst that he had. I forget which game this was Judd, where he had a two on O 
and he was tracked down pretty easily. I think it was against Philadelphia where it was like, wait a minute, this guy is supposed to be much quicker with the puck, and I don't think it was a long shift where you yep. expect if there's a turnover and he's got a chance for a 2-on-0 that he's going to race in and either set the guy up or he's going to score, and instead he got tracked down from behind, which kind of tells me that there still might not uh, be uh, 100% there, that he still might be battling something. But I think the best way to get him going and get him scoring a little bit, he's got one goal in 13 games, is to yep. just keep him with the guys that have worked for him for this extended period since Boudreaux got here. Yeah, so they, they started the uh, the Nashville game. I believe that it was at least the first two periods. They had uh, Zucker with Stone and Nino. And then uh, at some point during the third period of that game, they put uh, Zucker back on the Koivu-Granlin line. Yeah, Koivu-Granlin, I've been saying this. I don't know if he came back too quick, but it seems to me like uh, that groin problem. And I'm not, I don't think that he's incredibly slow, but I think that burst is gone for now. Um, the play that I point to for him that struck me as odd, and it resulted in a goal and Gramlin made a nice play, but the play itself, I thought went against what he would have done if he was completely healthy was there was a puck at center ice and Gramlin and Zucker came together and there was a Montreal player there. And Gramlin, instead of picking up the puck and trying to skate, skate with the puck, pushed it to, to Zucker, who I believe it was in the third, went in and scored. And it was a nice enough play, but it was also the type of play where Granlund, I thought, purposely tried not to, to skate because I think he thought if he tried to burst, he couldn't. So I think you're right there. Um, I don't know what, what it's going to take. All I know is you just can't have one line scoring, right? I mean, you've got to have two lines at least, if not three, in this day and age working. And as I said, when I went through this, after the Nashville game, you've got nine forwards who basically aren't producing. I mean, you've got nine guys that are getting assists here and there. They're doing some things, uh, but you have to you have to find a way to get these combinations to begin to work a bit. Uh, what would concern me is this, and this goes back to what you've talked about, Matthew, quite a bit, and it goes back to two guys that you've seen a lot of, Ennis and Foligno. Mm-hmm. What what are they, and where do you play them? Because Boudreaux is is constantly trying to shift these guys around. He'll have uh, Tyler on the first line sometimes. He'll drop him to the fourth line. Foligno, the exact same thing. And I think part of the dilemma here is is it's very clear to me that he doesn't know where to play them, and I don't think he knows at this point how much he can trust them, and that's a problem. But he has moved them around consistently, I think, on a game-by-game and even period-by-period basis. And I don't think he knows yet where he can land with either guy. I don't think I have a good answer for him. I mean, Marcus Foligno can play on the bottom six pretty much either line. He could be a fourth liner one night. He can move up and be a third liner. But you certainly can't move him consistently up into the top six because he's just not a scorer. But I think he can bring something to the table, and every once in a while he'll have a great game where he scores a goal, picks up an assist, you know, fights some guy, something like that, where he'll bring a lot to the table uh, even if he's not scoring that too, you know what I mean, because he could play – some solid defense at times, and there's the physical play. So he can be involved even if you're not counting on him to produce. With Tyler Ennis, the only thing that he's really good at is scoring, and he's not scoring and has not (laughs) scored in a long time. I mean, mean, with Tyler Ennis, you've got to go back a ways 
to find any point where he was an above average or even average scorer for a top six player in the NHL. I mean, now it looks like he's just not a guy who can play in the NHL anymore. I mean, he wouldn't be uh, alone in that if he was a player that uh, got some injuries as a smaller guy and, and fell off and had to go back to the minors or just had his career kind of you know, fade away. I mean, you look at these last three years. I'm going to pull it up right here. He has had the last three seasons, mm-hmm. three goals in 23 games, five goals in 51 games, and now three goals in 18 games. I mean, that's not anywhere near being an actual goal scorer. To I, I can't do the quick math as we're talking in my head, but he's just he's he's barely produced any sort of goal scoring. The only thing he could maybe do for this team is produce a little bit on the power play. Two out of his three goals come on the power play, but what do you do with him at five on five? I mean, to be honest, Judd, I, I think he probably just belongs in the press box, and they're just going to have to give someone else more opportunity instead. Well, that, that's a tough pill to swallow, though, Matthew, if that's the pill, because, I mean, that, that, that still goes back to the Scandella trade. So, uh, But the issue with, with him, too, is this. Uh, Tuesday night they played the Flyers at the X, and he was all over the ice. He didn't score, but he created chances. And he and I noticed him. I swear, at least I don't know six to ten times. Just make plays, right? And so, so you're like, oh, okay, he didn't score. But ordinarily, when a guy does that, you feel that he's on the cusp of scoring, right? Against Nashville, then he disappeared again. Mm-hmm. So it went from it went from Tuesday night saying, okay, he didn't score in this game, but this reminds you of of when a player starts to get hot. And then let's say the next game he comes back and he scores a goal or two and then goes into a nice little streak or a little stretch there. The issue here is he had that game. He didn't get a goal from that game. So you come back on Thursday against the Predators thinking, okay, at the very least he's going to play or he should play the same type of game, and he didn't. And that would scare me because because now you've gone through that one game where he popped up and you're like, okay, and I guess if he didn't score in that game, now you're back to the player that you saw the three previous games before that. Yeah, in fact, Bruce Boudreau gave him less ice time by a lot following the Philadelphia game. And I don't know, maybe you think if a guy gets a few scoring chances that you should give him some more ice time. But with this player, it's been such a long time since he's done anything. Uh, The math on that, by the way, that's 11 goals in his last 92 games. And, and, a, and a grand total of 29 points. And he's seen his ice time. Judd, when he was at his best a few years ago, I, I would say the best season he had was probably 2013-14, but he had a two-year stretch where he was pretty good. And yeah. he, at his absolute best, he was playing 19 minutes a game and scored 43 and 46 points in back-to-back years. Now, those aren't incredible totals, but that's two 20-goal seasons, right? Yeah, yes. I, he is down over the last two years under two different coaches, two different situations, under 13 minutes a night. And I think that says everything about where he fits and what he brings to a team right now. It's very, very little. And even if you look at the puck possession numbers, I mean, the, the shot differentials, some people don't like you to call it possession, but just think of it in that manner. How are, are you out shooting the other team when the guy's on the ice? Uh, he's one of the lowest on the team right now. And, and this is a guy that should be able to carry the puck and create shots, and we haven't seen any of that. I mean, it, it's almost like if you're not going to get any goals, you'd rather have somebody at least be a defensive player or be a physical player, bring something, because right now 
Ennis is not offering anything. So what what's changed? I mean, when when you saw him play well, what did, did you see? Because I do see a guy once in a while who definitely shows up, but when you saw him at his best in Buffalo, what made him good then, and what's missing from that equation now, do you think? Well, I think part of it is the uh, power play opportunity. He did score quite a bit uh, on the power play. That's one thing. I mean, if somebody isn't doing well at five-on-five as a coach, it doesn't make you want to throw him on the power play. That's part of it. Uh, The concussions are part of it, too, which I think probably hurt his aggressiveness, his consistency, maybe from a night to night basis. Maybe it, it doesn't feel the same every night uh, that it used to, but I'm not inside his head. So I think that's very hard to say, but that's clearly where the drop off came was mm-hmm. after he had those injuries. I think another part of it too, is uh, I was listening to uh, hockey central. Uh, uh, this isn't the only hockey podcast that I listen to Judd. Um, so I was listening to hockey central, which is just out of Canada there. <laughs> And uh, Nick Kiprios, who's a big personality in Canada, was talking about players in the league who used to be considered fast have had to adapt because everyone's gotten faster. We still think of Tyler Ennis as a fairly young player. He's now in the ninth year of his career. He came in in 2009-10. He's 28 years old now. And the league, I mean, the league has changed a ton since 2009-10, Judd. And even over the last couple years, we see more younger players than we've ever seen before. We see more up-tempo hockey than we've ever seen before. And I wonder if when Tyler Ennis was at his best, he was one of the best skaters on the ice at any point. And now he isn't. And now he's just another guy who skates real well. And so instead of being able to take the puck and fly around people and create and score, he can't really do that anymore, and he hasn't found a way to adjust. So I think it's probably the combination of all of those things. And it's too bad because I know people who know Tyler say he's a great guy and he's really good friends with Jared Spurgeon, so you don't yep. you don't want to see his career fade like this. But these are AHL-type numbers. If you had to call up a guy from the AHL and play him – 13 minutes a night for 18 games. You'd expect eh, three goals, two assists, something like that. I mean, you wouldn't have any sort of expectation. So at this point, there probably is no reason to really just keep running him out there, I think, right? I I don't don't see anything that makes me think this is going to change. He reminds me of a slightly uh, better, a slight upgrade of Jordan Schrader. Okay, yeah, yeah. Small small player, decent speed. But, I mean, you see the only player on the wild whose speed, and, and this is not to say that, that there aren't good skaters, okay? But the only player on the wild who, when you go to a game, in my mind, and watch them play, the speed stands out is Zucker. Zucker is incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And and he has, he has the ability to win races. Beyond that, though, I mean, guys like Stahl can skate. They're good skaters. Um, but Zucker's the only guy who I watch from the press box, and I see him flat out uh, go up, up against guys yeah. and consistently win races. Mm-hmm. Ennis doesn't. I mean, he's shifty. He is willing to take a hit, and pr- probably uh, to his detriment at times, he'll initiate hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not a guy that I watched him and say he's winning foot races consistently. Zucker's the only guy, and and to your point, I mean, that is so right. This league now is so damn fast. I mean, we used to – there There was a time where you, you would watch teams and say, okay, 
the best skater on the team is this guy, and then the next opponent would come around, and you could identify the fastest guy on, on each team. And the majority of guys were okay, but they weren't great. That That is so different now. This game is so, so fast. So, yeah, I mean, there is only one guy on the wild who I actually watch skate and say he, he to me, is significantly better than most guys as far as being goes. Yeah, and I and just looking at uh, some of uh, Schrader's stats, I think your comparison is pretty good uh, with what he did in, in a few years. Last year he was better, had 13 points in 37 games, but that still isn't uh, lighting things up. I mean, normally he was, you play him for 20 games, he gives you a handful of points. He had eight points in 25 games in 2014-15. That's basically what Ennis is giving you. He's giving you replacement-level play. This is kind of the definition when you hear people say he's replacement-level. That doesn't mean that he's uh, just a replaceable player. It means the estimate of what you would get if you just call the guy up from Iowa. And that's Mm -hmm. basically what Ennis is giving you. And the two things on that, it's a guy that you're playing I mean, 13 minutes isn't nothing, so you're having to run him out there to give you almost nothing. It's also a guy you traded for, so you've got him on your roster because you had to move somebody else, uh, better players in, in Scandella and Jason Pominville, and that's problematic too because all you got back was Jordan Schrader, more or less. And when you trade assets, even if you're on the tougher side of the deal and you get back Jordan Schrader well you you definitely didn't win and and to your point Judd when I'm looking up and down this roster and looking who is going to step up to help them continue to score I don't know the answer to that question I mean I've expected Erickson Eck for a while to show up and and by the way he's got a 2.8 percent shooting percentage I mean he's gonna score a little more than he has now but yes uh, so I would expect him uh, I don't know where Luke Cunning is going to go. Uh, if he's going to just score every once in a while and play hard, and that's going to be about it for him. Matt Cullen does not look like he's going to bring a whole lot to the table. He does not look like the same guy that was scoring 30 points a year into his uh, late 30s, early 40s in Pittsburgh. And that's kind of what I expected, Judd. I mean, when they signed Matt Cullen, coming home, final year, you just won the Stanley Cup, two cups in a row, you've got a ton of miles on the body. I had very low expectations for him. Uh, Winnick has been just okay. I mean, th- th- I mean, this is kind that, of the yeah, problem, exactly. right? Yes, yes. Nine, four, nine forwards who have been okay. The Cullen thing doesn't shock me. Now, now I liked the signing, and I think as a fourth-line center, he's, he's fine. Uh, the Cullen uh, aspect of not scoring, though, does not, not surprise me in this sense, Matthew. I mean, this is a guy who fit in perfectly in Pittsburgh. Because he was a fourth line guy on, on a team with guys like Kessel and Crosby and Malkin, and so he very much had a defined role on a really good team. This is not a really good team, so uh, that doesn't surprise me. The Erickson X thing now, the, the thing that was good against Nashville a little bit, and I'm not praising him for this, but I noticed him at least. I mean, there have been games where I've been like, the game got done, and I'm like, oh, that's right, Yule Erickson X played, and I didn't even notice. That's not a good thing. Um, he he needs to be he needs to get to the point, and I don't know if he's not comfortable or, or what. But I mean, we've seen the skill there, and I'm not expecting him on a game by game basis to be great. But what I am expecting him is on, on a game by game basis to show up, and so that, that you watch the game and say, "Oh yeah, he played," which I don't see. Uh, there's just been too many guys. There've been too many forwards on this team who the game gets done, and you're like, "Okay, what's one play that I saw this guy for?" And you can't think about one play 
because because they basically just played a bland game that didn't have much to it. Uh, and by the way, your guy, your favorite guy who got off to the great start, uh, Chris Stewart, who I believe had six <laughs> My goals favorite in guy. the first six games, six goals in the first six games, because uh, I think he had two in one, has not scored a goal since then, and uh, by last night is back where he belongs on the fourth line. The only funny thing last night was when Zucker turned over the puck at, at his own blue line, leading to a Predators shorthanded goal. And at that point, if I'm not mistaken, Matthew, the Wild was in a 2-4, I want to say 35 or 36 power play slump. Mm-hmm. And Boudreaux, for the rest of that power play, benched not one, but both power play units. And he put out Erickson Eck and Chris Stewart, and basically everyone he could because he was so sick to his stomach, he wanted to puke about how bad the uh, two power play units had been. Uh, going back to Chris Stewart and his hot goal streak, I wonder if we could have seen that coming when he was shooting 50%. <laughs> right? Uh, there, there's another point on uh, on Matt Cullen right now. And, and yep. Eric Sinekla, I'm just looking at the numbers. Let me give you some that are interesting to me. Cullen's numbers are are about as bad as you can get, and that's never been the case with him. He's always mm-hmm. been a pretty positive player, even if he's on a fourth line. This year, right now, uh, shots, 106-65 to 65 when he's on the ice. They're getting outshot 106-65, to 65, and they've been outscored 7-5, to five, and close shots, meaning the, the high-danger shots, are 40-26. Wow. F- to 26. They're getting beaten. So they're getting crushed across the board when Matt Cullen is on the ice. And that may be because he's not playing on the same caliber of team as he was last year, or it may be that there isn't as much there as there was last year. Now with Erickson Eck, there is some reason to think that he'll turn it around, not just his old, uh, his uh, personal shooting percentage, but also they've been pretty much a 50-50 team in terms of shots, scoring chances, and a little above that. Uh, when it comes to getting the close shots. So I think Eric Sinek will probably start to get things turned around a little more. Maybe they give him Charlie Coyle when Coyle comes back. I saw that he's uh, skating now. So yes, the, he is. So I think with Eric Sinek, you want to stick with it. Uh, the teams will sometimes have a tendency, if a guy's struggling, to send him down to the minors. But I think in his case, you don't want to do anything like that or or, or cut his ice time off. Just mm-hmm. give it just give it time. We may look back and say, man, those first 20 games, he really struggled. But then once he got it going, he was a huge contributor with Cullen. You might want to start looking for what other options there are. I don't know if there's anyone in Iowa who could play a fourth line center role. But it so far and I know that Boudreaux is not going to bench him, but so far it has not worked. And that's the thing when you have a couple of these changes a couple of these different guys who all aren't working at the same time it puts you in a pretty tough spot where you need jason zucker to go nuts and you need devin dubnik to go nuts in a stretch of games in order to win four in a row the problem is this to to your point i, I don't know that that there is anyone in the minors to call up and play and if you think about this uh the center position for this team the depth is so low right What's there? I, I mean, right. it, it's a position that's hard to fill to start with. And when you think about this, w- what you have right now is a veteran in Stahl, a veteran in Koivu, a veteran veteran in Cullen, and Eric Sinek. And beyond that, do you start to try and shift guys around? I mean, that's tough. 
it's doable, I guess, but it's tough. So this gets back. This gets back to if there is. I would say this: if there is a uh, right now for this team for uh, 2017, 18, if there is a key position of depth that I, I would be concerned about, center, right? I mean, it's yeah. got to be. It's got to be. And 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 it's Stalls, a nice player. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like your top one is fantastic and great. But beyond that, I, I think if you go, if you say, oh, okay, Collins is not playing well, we need to make a move there and get somebody up or get somebody, that's tough because I don't know that that player exists. And once again, you're hamstring on the salary cap, so it's not like you can go out and try and trade for one. And furthermore, the question becomes, if you do try and make that trade, since they're hard to find, who do you trade? Yeah, I don't think the problem is really resolvable unless uh, Zach Parisi stays on IR for the whole year, and then you could acquire somebody and put that salary in there uh, toward the end of the season. But I think Parisi is probably going to end up coming back at some point, so you probably can't do that. I, j- I did want to mention that uh, Nino Niederreiter coming back has been a big impact, and I know that he had a wild game against Nashville. But how about this? When he's on the ice this year uh, – 89 to 71 they're out shooting opponents eight to four they're outscoring them and they're doubling up the number of high danger chances and that's just that is the type of effect that nina Ryder has had on the wild since he got here basically but especially under bruce boudreau where they just dominate possession with him and maybe he's not a guy that you watch and say boy he's just got the puck all the time but it's more like winning battles and making small plays that seems to consistently over his career help his team increase the number of shots and scoring chances that they get. So that's been helpful. Eric Stahl, uh, since we talked before, I think we were criticizing Stahl. I, he's been much better since he's then. He's played really well of late. Yeah. Yes, he and, has. And if, and if he's going to roll like this, they can start to win on a more consistent basis. Uh, but as far as solving the bottom six problems, I don't see an immediate solution. P- People don't just like wave good bottom six players for you to come pick up. Uh, there no, was there was a garbage for garbage trade in the West. Uh, UC Jokinen for Mike Camilleri, two worn out guys who are older. I was going to say, what, what's the combined age of those two? <laughs> yeah, UC Jokinen um, is like my age, seventy five, yeah, eighty. Uh, he's like forty five years old. I swear to God, he's like Yager. And that's teams sort of desperate to solve their bottom six problems too. So it's all over the league. And what they yes. did was add another teams. So that spreads out the talent even more. Uh, I think over the next stretch of games, Judd, we're going to start to find out what this team really is because between now and the beginning of December, first week of December, you face Mm -hmm. St. Louis twice. Well, New Jersey's playing really well. Washington Mm -hmm. is their, their next game. As we record this, New Jersey's playing extremely well. You have St. Louis twice. You've got Winnipeg and Los Angeles. So you're going to face, and Vegas if they count, if you believe that Vegas is a good team. That stretch, St. Louis, Winnipeg, Vegas, St. Louis again, and then Los Angeles from November 25th to December 5th. I look at that as a key stretch for this team over the entire year. It still feels like it's early, but that is a murderer's role of the best teams in the West right now. It's not, too. It's not now. It feels like it is, but I think we're what? It, the, the Wild, for one, I think is 18 games in, but there's a few teams that are 20 games in. It is, this is the time now where I, I think when you I think when you get to Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, you, you should have a pretty good read on your team. Not a perfect read, but a decent read. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. And 
I think when you look at where this team is at, to me, I'm not really, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked by the fact that, you know, I think this team has its, its, its problems, issues. I would say the one thing that I thought that you would see by now that you have not seen is I thought that you would see a little bit more scoring across the board. And I'm not saying I thought that they'd go crazy scoring wise, but I did, I did come from the train of thought that, that you would have at least three lines sort of switching back and forth on a game by game basis, mm. somewhat in scoring. And you don't so far. So Boudreaux's got to be concerned there. And he, he was asked about the, the lack of scoring after the Predators game and essentially said, well, I'm going to keep playing guys. Cause I've got to, and I'm going to trust that they'll score but you need more forwards start to contribute goals and at some point in time here you need the power play to get on track now i they had two power play goals against the preds which as i said before uh before that they were in like a two for 36 slide but the power play has to start to contribute consistently the one good thing is the penalty kill has been outstanding so Mm -hmm. that's the good but the power play has to start to score so let me ask you this before we wrap up. On this date, uh, would you bet the Minnesota Wild to be a playoff team or not? Oh. In this conference, which is so incredibly jumbled with so many even teams, um, you know what? Just from my past experience with this, of watching this team for so long, I'm going to say yes. Because they ordinarily have that weird run in, in them. I This is not a compliment to them, but the Wild is one of these sports teams, and these teams exist, that can hit a, can hit the gas and say, oh, my mm-hmm. God, we've got it. Now, ultimately, it costs them in the playoffs because there comes a time where they're just completely spent. But I am going to say yes. I'm going to say Dubnik's a good enough goaltender, and you've got enough guys who when there's a sense of – urgency can get going that they will be that they, they're not going to be a top seed they're going to be a seven or eight seed but i am going to say the answer in my opinion is yes i think the wild they're basically the kansas city chiefs of the nhl where they're just always competitive always good keep their fans coming back and then when it gets playoff time it never seems to click but uh you know probably for the, a similar reason not having the superstar quarterback, though Alex Smith's playing pretty good this year. But uh, anyway, Judd, I think I agree with you on that. And a major part of it is just their coach, that Bruce Boudreaux was able to do it before in Anaheim when his team got off to a really slow start and he got them to a division title. I don't expect that from this team. But I do expect that he's a good enough coach that he can finagle ways to get them scoring a little bit more, that they do have a good goaltender, and that will be just enough. But I also think that they should be looking around every day for possible improvements on that bottom six and that there's got to be something uh, that they can do to uh, improve the scoring there. And maybe that includes benching Tyler Ennis. But when your GM trades for him, he probably is not going to want you to put him in the press box. But at some point, they might have to do that. So I, I wonder I wonder if they can, in fact, what I would try and do very quickly is I wonder if there'd be a chance to flip him. I don't know. I mean, is anybody buying that anymore? I mean, is anybody buying that it, it he's going to bounce back to 20 goals? Team. Yeah. It takes one team, and there's a lot of GMs out there who might be gullible. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about a league with a lot of teams run by some former players who ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer, man. <laughs> 
I just wonder if you could. I wonder if you're Fletcher, if you could try and flip him as quick as possible. Um, here, here's the problem. I think. I think ultimately he's not a Boudreaux player. I just don't think Bruce likes him that that much too. I think Boudreaux wants bigger guys. I don't think he likes his size. And as I said, the problem here is with both him and Felino. If you watch from game to game to game, he tries him on the first line, and then he'll demote him to the third line, and then he'll get really frustrated because it's how Bruce operates, and he'll demote him to the fourth line, and then he'll take him off the power play, and then he'll put so. But in Ennis's case, I do wonder if you could still get some team to be like, well, there's potential there, and try and flip him as quick as possible. Yeah, maybe. I mean, just a thought. I don't know. Maybe a team like Carolina or something who's uh, struggling for the 50th straight year in a row. Uh, maybe it's possible that they could say, well, if he's got something there, then uh, maybe we found a pot of gold, but you got to get something back. And I, I don't know what you could get back. So we move will... back to Hartford, Carolina. Yeah. That, that's the answer to your dilemma. <laughs> oh, and, and real quick, my one national hockey league gripe for this week is there's, there's speculation and talk about the fact that, uh, that Gary Bettman and the league has been in contact with Houston uh-huh. about expansion for a 32nd team. Yeah. I understand I understand you want a 32nd team, okay, because you went to 31 because you took the $500 million from Vegas. I get all that, but my God, are you really are you really going to do this without making sure that about, what, five other franchises are healthy? Are you really going to – are you really going to go to 32 while you got other teams that are – currently struggling and you need to get healthy and by the way what's the i get it houston's a big talent i get all that but if you're really going to expand don't you want to go to seattle it occurs to me that seattle is a much more potentially hockey friendly market than houston i think it's a a really bad plan (laughs) to expand even already i thought it was risky and it would be a really bad plan to go even more but I don't know. I mean, these teams, these leagues um, who have succeeded have expanded quite a bit, but going to 32, it seems like only the uh, NFL has been willing to do that. And I don't know. I mean, I was already worried about it to begin with. And you're asking a Houston market that's just packed with other teams to all of a sudden embrace hockey because they've had the AHL there. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. So I'm, I'm with you on that, Judd. Thank you very much. That's my National Hockey League Gary Bettman grant for the week. Okay, well, scoring's up, so I'm happy. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator skin. Man, I love Operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. This- Soldier. Get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 bets and free 20 and 23.